Have you ever been anxious about the way that things are going in the world or in the church? Have, has the, have the troubles in the world and in the church ever brought you anxiety and distress and depression? Of course, this can happen any time of the year, any day of the year. But this is particularly true right now, isn't it? Or at least it can be true right now. But it doesn't have to be true. The troubles in the world and in the church don't have to bring us anxieties and distress and depression. And I think the, the readings here today give us a way forward, give us a way to do precisely just that, to live in this fallen world through all of its troubles, all of its trials, and not fall to them. So in the first reading, we learn about Cyrus, Cyrus, who was not a Jew, not an Israelite, but he had become the ruler, and he did things for his own political gain. Not for the good of the people, for his own political gain. But the prophet, as he, the prophet that we just heard from, as he is interpreting the events of the world at that time, he is describing how God is bringing about His plan, how God is carrying out His providence through this non-Israelite leader. In the psalm, we heard sung so beautifully the sentiment of exalting God as King, as giving glory and praise to God. The time period that that psalm was written was right after the fall of the Davidic kingdom. So King David, who had been raised by God to lead the Israelites, eventually had to die. So he died, the Davidic kingdom fell apart. And the leader that came and took his place was not a good one, was a cruel leader. As often happens, after a good leader, there's a bad leader. And so then that raised the question, what do we do now? Now that our good, holy, God-appointed, God-anointed leader, our beloved King David has died, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? And the answer, exalt God as king. These temporal leaders, they're only temporary by definition. God alone is king forever. Through every trial, through every set of circumstances, God is king. And then we see in the, in the gospel, this unholy alliance formed between the Pharisees and the Herodians. These two groups were not friends. These were enemies. These were political enemies with very different interests. But now they have a common enemy, Jesus. This Jesus character who's going around saying things and forming a group, a band of, follow, band of followers, they, both of those groups perceive Jesus to be a threat to them, to their own interests. So they get together and they try to trap him. 
Should we pay the taxes to Caesar? Of course, if Jesus said yes, the Pharisees could see this as, a, as an insult on the divine law. You're honoring the local, the temporal, the earthly leader? We're supposed to exalt God as king. Didn't you learn the lessons from Cyrus and from the fall of the divine kingdom and all the rest? See, this Jesus, he's not a real Jew. He's not really in our tradition. He's a farce. But on the other hand, if he said no, the Herodians now have something against him. They can go to King Herod and say, King Herod, there's this preacher out in the countryside that's starting a revolution. And he's telling people that they don't need to pay their taxes. So they try to trap Jesus. But of course, Jesus is God. God cannot be trapped. So we hear his response. Whose image is this and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. For us, when we go through our struggles in the world, there is this question of what is our role to play? What do we do? Okay, sure, God is in control, but aren't I supposed to do something to help? And the answer lies in this answer of Jesus. Pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And we can think of it this way. Sure, let's go out and fulfill our duties and responsibilities. All of them. Let's do our work. Let's raise our families. Let's vote. Let's educate on ourselves on the issues and on the candidates and then vote. Well, haven't been well educated, haven't been well formed by Catholic Christian principles. Let's even campaign if appropriate. Let's help others see the truth, the light. Sure. And of course, let's pay our taxes. Let's follow the laws and all the rest. That's us giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you know, we have, right now, it's kind of a mild political climate here. We have a, it's been a couple of years since the last presidential election, and I wasn't here in this parish for that, but I was in another community, and division and strife and ill will towards fellow Christians was happening there. Probably wasn't happening here. You're all saints, I know that. <laughs> but in, in case that wasn't, in case that's not the case, we can ask ourselves, what are we going to do differently next year? Why is next year going to be different than this year? And if we're not asking that, then it's going to happen again. The same thing is going to happen again. And I'm proposing that that happens when we make as the goal the building of the human society. We think that that's the goal. We have to perfect our human society here on earth because that's what God wants us to do. So let's go out and make the perfect society. The moment we do this, the moment we make this move interiorly, even before we go out and do anything, we start closing in on ourselves. 
and we start shutting everyone else out. Everyone else who doesn't have the same plan as me is an outcast, is an enemy, is an adversary against my plan. That sounds a lot like the Pharisees and the Herodians, doesn't it? Seeing Jesus as their adversary. Because Jesus didn't fall along the lines of their plans of building the perfect society. The alternative is to see that the goal of human life is not the building of the perfect society, but is union with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can start that here, and we can prolong that for all of eternity. Now, as we're moving along those lines, then we have to do some things. Sure, we have to educate ourselves on current events and vote properly, pay taxes. But what we're doing here is we're paying to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And now the next line, and to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God? Us. We belong to God. Ourselves. Our hearts, our minds, our wills. We don't give that to Caesar. We don't allow Caesar to take away our charity, to take away our hope, to take away our faith, no matter how bad things are in the world. That doesn't belong to Caesar. That belongs to God. So we give to God what belongs to God. And we see this reality, this isn't just these aren't just abstract principles. We see this lived out in every saint in the history of the church. And today we're celebrating our great patron, St. John Paul II. And we see this in him in a special way because he, having grasped this, so to speak, having, having assimilated this into his reality, having pursued a life with God, unity with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having pursued heaven in every moment of his waking life. Doing this, that allowed him to render to Caesar what to Caesar, and that allowed God to raise him up to then become the leader of new Israel, the Catholic Church. Now that's God's prerogative. God does that. He wasn't pursuing that. He wasn't pursuing political gain, worldly gain, temporal gain. He wasn't even pursuing, let's build the church or let's build the world. Let's make the world a better place. Let's make the church a better place. That wasn't the primary goal. The primary goal was to be united to God. And the way to do that is to give him, the way that he did that, the way that every saint does that was they gave themselves entirely to God and for good measure to Our Lady. Totos tubes. I am totally yours, Mary. So as he did this, as he pursued the Lord, he pursued Our Lady, he pursued them, he pursued heaven. Within that context, he gave to Caesar what was Caesar's, and God raised him up. Now there are other saints that, don't, that aren't raised up to be political leaders, but they're just as united with God as him. They're not fighting to see who, who did more for the world or who more for the church or anything like that. 
They're just rejoicing that they're with God. Because that's the whole point. So I'll close by praying this prayer here for us. This is in our bulletin this week. I encourage you all to pray it at home. A prayer to St. John Paul II that encapsulates all of this. O St. John Paul, from the window of heaven, grant us your blessing. Bless the church that you loved and served and guided, courageously leading her along the paths of the world in order to bring Jesus to everyone and everyone to Jesus. Bless the young who were your great passion. Help them dream again. Help them look up to the heavens again to find the light that illuminates the paths of life here on earth. May you bless each and every family. You warned of Satan's assault against this precious and indispensable divine spark that God lit on earth. St. John Paul, with your prayer, may you protect the family and every life that blossoms from that family. Pray for the whole world, which is still marked by tensions, wars, and injustice. You oppose war by invoking dialogue and planting the seeds of love. Pray for us so that we may be tireless sowers of peace. O St. John Paul, from heaven's window, where we see you beside Mary, send God's blessing down upon, down upon us all. Amen. Or in one line summary, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God.